Welcome everyone. Welcome Type Thursday. My name is James Butler. I'm the organizer of Type Thursday San Francisco. So we're going to get started. I uh, just want to have a couple quick announcements uh, before we get into uh, Meet the Creatives. Um, we are a group of volunteers that help out here. Um, so if you know anyone or you yourself are interested in helping out uh, with volunteering, we can always use help here. Uh, helping set up, helping every everywhere else. One specific place that we're actually looking for a lot of help is an editorial lead. So what that is, is someone who actually will help out with social media or email, all the all the ways that you guys find out about us. Um, someone who can to do that and help us out and make this community even better. Um, and then what Tech Thursday actually does for its volunteers, um, we, we not only allow you to learn these skills and practice them, but we, we support you in your growth and we actually have you, if you, um, work with us for over a year. Uh, Type Thursday Global, so we're, we're in many different cities. Type Thursday HQ will actually uh, support you and finance you to go to a conference of your choice um, if you commit to working with us for a year. So that's a really, really good benefit if you guys have a, your eye on a conference. Um, so yeah, so we're going to get started. I'm going to hand it off to uh, Rob here and uh, we're going to go into it. Thank you to Thomas and James and everyone here at Type Thursday for putting this all together. Give a nice round of applause for James over there. Woo! Very cool. There's one word that came into my mind when I was thinking about, you know, how did we get here? How did we go from me on my iPhone making a podcast to then being in San Francisco and going down to like Pier 29 and uh, going to like Last Rites? I've gone to all like these very probably touristy places. But... And the thing that stuck out is intent. That's pretty much how this whole thing happened. The podcast, for the most part, with the exception of great clubs like Type Thursday and stuff, is just me. That's kind of like probably disappointing, but uh, the reason I talk about intent is when I started this, I uh, had no idea what I was doing. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would be before a group like this in New York, let alone in San Francisco. The way I did that was when I started out, I had uh, two podcast guests, and then I had Leland Nashmeyer, uh, who was the co-founder of Collins, and I had him on the show. Uh, and at the time, and to this day, Collins is one of my favorite studios. And then one morning, I got an email from Brian Collins that's like, so why haven't we met yet? So I went there and I spoke with him. I said, you know, I, I wanna work here, I wanna be a designer, I wanna be a great typographer, I wanna be like a practitioner, right? I, at this time, I don't even think I could do like a clipping mask. I knew literally nothing. But I had the right intent, and they can tell that I was enthusiastic, and I wanted to learn, and I wanted to grow. And Brian said to me that day at the table, I, I remember it well, he said, if you keep your head down, and you fill your head with information, and you learn, and you have the humility to grow, and to learn, and to evolve, you can do anything, and your wildest dreams will come true. And I know this might sound like pathetic because you guys live here, but coming to San Francisco and doing this whole thing and for you guys and having the beer and having this awesome panel, like that really is a dream come true. But it all starts with intent. And I know a lot of you guys here are people that are just coming here for the first time and uh, maybe you're a little bit nervous. You don't know exactly know what a type critique is. And that's totally cool, but you have the right intent. So my intent is to facilitate an incredible conversation with the lovely people at Collins. So give it up for the lovely panel at Collins. I'll introduce them when they come up here. Big round of applause. One more time, you can do better than that. Come on, everyone, get loose. All right, here we go. I should have asked this before, but we have Corinne Soku. Soak up. Like, so, like soak up the sun, I love that. Correct. I'm gonna soak up the sun, I love that song. 
We have, we have Ben Crick right next to you. Nice round of applause for Ben. And we have Caroline Bagley, is that correct? Yeah. Nailed it, see? Yeah. I had that right in time. Collins is a strategy and brand experience design company. You create products, environments, and communications that transform brands, drive business, and improve people's lives. So I would imagine when you're doing that, the typography plays uh, a major role in that and making that possible. How does that make it possible? And I'm gonna pass it to you first. Sure. I'll start by just saying thank you guys all for coming. It's, it's a lot of fun for us to be here and to kind of meet other creatives in the industry. I know that we always don't get to see other folks and kind of meet folks across agencies and disciplines. So happy to be here and to see you. But um, to your point, I think typography, I mean, we're always thinking about brand systems as a whole and how flexible and dynamic they need to be. And in its most literal sense, I think typography provides a voice, right, for a company and, and is literally kind of expressing words and meaning and that plays a, a big role in our job. And I think it's not easy always to get a brand to kind of really stand tall in what that voice is and have a very strong point of view and typography can play such a big role there. And I think an interesting point that we were talking about on the way here is that in many ways type is more fixed than other elements in a brand system. I think you know, photography, illustration can often be interpreted and kind of fall across the spectrum. And that's not saying that type is, doesn't have that ability too, but I think in many ways it, it is concrete. And there's something really interesting about that in terms of kind of sticking again to that notion of having a strong kind of base solid core to a personality and a brand and how that starts to express something in its true essence. Very cool. Yeah. Ben, she's at a very high bar. Do you have anything that you'd like to add? She took my point. Um, <laughs> this is something I've thought about a lot, is what is it about type that we as designers gravitate towards so much? More than any other element in design, it's like the thing that it feels like we as designers own typography. And there's other practices that own illustration and photography and, I mean, color to a certain extent as well, but for us, typography is kind of like the tool. Um, and I don't necessarily know that I have an answer, but I think that there's something about the fact that you know you have these letters that are just in, each each letter is kind of imbued with meaning. Um, they're kind of iconic. They're kind of all the things that we love about logos and stuff like that. And then you just have it. It's almost like Lego bricks that you have to play with both visually and they're already embedded with meaning as well. So they just carry a lot of kind of I don't know. That's the closest I've got. But I would be very happy to have a conversation about that because I think it's something that's on the back of my mind all the time. That's awesome. Caroline? Well, they really stole all my points. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I have, I have the next question if you want to jump in. How about you lead the next question? Sounds good. All right. Uh, when working across, you know, you guys work uh, at the Exploratorium, down, which is huge. And they also have uh, things like the Jim Henson exhibit. And you're working across all of these various places and mediums. So when you're doing that and you're choosing a typeface, how do you go about finding that in terms of like which type founder you want to work with and then when you're trying to make something that's versatile and fun without getting in the way of that communication how do you guys kind of strike that balance um well i can talk to jim henson because i worked on that project we knew that we really wanted to capture the voice of the people we were designing for and talking about and in particular jim henson who's kind of this like crazy character who's all over the place um he's known for the muppets and also some really crazy stuff like uh, dark crystal and so and we Sesame Street. What? Oh, and Sesame Street. But he's also known for all this, like, really 
kind of darker, more adult stuff. So we wanted to capture both parts of his personality, and so that's why the typeface was like custom made, and every character is different, and no character ever repeats itself. So that's one perspective. Shout out to Caroline because she designed. Uh, yes, she was the typographer on both that and much of the Mailchimp identity. So. How do you know which foundry to go with? You guys have personal yeah. favorites. I know that Collins has a, a few type foundries they regularly work with, and then some new ones. So, we use a lot of different type foundries, and and to Carolyn's point, we often try to make our own typefaces. I think um, it really depends on the purpose of the piece. You know, typefaces cross a lot of boundaries. Often, there's typefaces being used for utilities, or being uh, or for a utility, which is like um, legible. Does it work in certain environments? Does it work hard for you? And then this kind of type as expression, which which is where we tend to land more, you know, it's a version of display typography, but where we tend to land more in kind of trying to make our own. I think we don't pretend to be kind of like functional typographers, so we often start with a kind of look and feel and emotion, and we try to build some letters and things like that. Sometimes that's enough, and then sometimes that's a starting place, and then we'll work with a type foundry to um, kind of bring that to life and to make sure that we're literally crossing our T's and dotting our I's. Cool. Another shout out, we have worked with um, James Edmondson here at Ono Type a number of times in partnership, so again. Do you try and do local? Is that something that you guys try and do, like I know sometimes from New York City or from San Francisco, or, or not necessarily? Not necessarily, you know, I think the art can be done anywhere, and I think we always prefer meeting the person behind the craft, and so it's nice when they can come over and we can work side by side on things, but again, we'll go towards talent, wherever that is. For sure, I love that. All right, let's hop into some case studies here. This will be kind of a fun thing. Let's start with MailChimp. Uh, in partnership with in-house brand team, you sought to capture and elevate uh, the MailChimp spirit. Can you talk about the role of typography in bringing that spirit to life and explain some of the challenges you guys are trying to solve? I guess we'll start with Ben, perfect. I'll, I'll start. I'm gonna grab the and, and when I panic, I'll just pass it off to Caroline. No worries. Hopefully it goes Thank well. you, sir. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things. There's both client-side factors that we're trying to deal with and express their kind of unique tone of voice and things like that. And then there's um, just, as kind of professionals in this industry, trends and kind of things that we see out in the world that we're responding to at the same time. So it's always a kind of conversation between those two um, goals. I think for MailChimp, um, the external factor was um, we were seeing a lot of companies kind of gravitate towards the same kinds of typefaces, which is especially as you work in larger branding, um, kind of like warm, friendly, simple, geometric typefaces. Uh, and, and we kind of felt like specifically for MailChimp, they have such a um, kind of incredible personality. Their, their internal culture and the team there is just kind of wonderful and they, they have their own store and they make like vinyl dolls and t-shirt drops and the whole office is just like really in love with the brand and they have this incredible kind of um, energy when you're with them but then externally that kind of manifested as a all sorts of you know there wasn't a really controlling kind of filter on that and there was just a lot of different things going on so we wanted to bring a little bit more rigor and a little bit more structure to that, but without losing that personality and also, you know, maintaining that sense of warmth that is, I think, characteristic to them and um, very important. So we kind of went looking for um, typefaces um, that kind of captured the values that I think are true to them and also kind of made them, um, you know, made them fit within that larger context. And then for the logo specifically, um, and this is where I'm going to pass it up to you, so warning, um, we made a custom logo again, 
just as, again as a reaction to um, some tactical needs for bringing elements of their brand closer together um, that had been kind of disparate in the past and you know they had wild creativity but weren't necessarily working together with that wild creativity um, and then also as a reaction to kind of outside forces that we were seeing where it was just like you know if everyone keeps going down the same path of like you know, taking their accents off their logos and and transitioning to just like pure sans serif word marks, we're gonna we're gonna end up in a place where everyone looks the same, and then there's gonna be a backlash to that. So we're just trying to get out in front of that as well. You should talk about which typefaces and why. You mean the word mark or Cooper? Uh, yeah, both. Okay. Um, well, the word mark. I guess the best brief we had to do that from was they were like, okay, so we have Freddie, which is their chimp head. How do we make I know, I've also been referring to him as Freddy for a really long time, and they were like, Freddy is a monkey. You need to like preface that. They were like, the script is amazing, but it doesn't match with Freddy. So how do you make a word mark that really captures the essence of Freddy? So we made the C that like mimicked his smile, and uh, the eyes wink at you, and um, the ink traps are really for small scale, as well as like a lot of the details in Freddy. Um, so that was capturing a lot of just Freddy's essence. I think as well, like, you managed to capture the kind of, I think, vibe is an overused term these days, but um, he has a certain vibe, and the logo definitely kind of captures that, and I think that's something we're looking for as well. I think an interesting part, too, is we're always thinking about motion in our work, and I'm sure you guys are in many ways as, as well, in terms of brands living online and on screens and having to kind of express themselves across different dimensions. and. That was an interesting conversation with our motion director, Chris Wong, who also was taking uh, the logo um, as a whole and thinking about how to bring it to life through motion in a way that really captured the spirit of the Freddy icon as well, and those things really pairing together, both in terms of how they came on screen um, and how they continued to kind of communicate that essence. Sure, I love Freddie. It's, it's one of my favorite brands, and I feel like you guys added so much to it. And I, I can't speak to San Francisco, but I know in New York it was like the talk of town, and uh, it was really kind of fun to see. So I love it. There All right. One more point, one more point. Yeah, no worries. There's you guys really can go as long a, as you like. A real, to. There's a really good story involved. Sorry to cut you off. There's a really no, good, good story um, involved in the body typeface that I think is hilarious. So the typeface that we ended up choosing for the body copy is Cooper Light, which is the light version of Cooper Black, which is. A lovely typeface but has a kind of checkered past in terms of like it's associated with certain out scenarios and outputs and dates and things like that 70s. Um, yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, so actually what we did was we didn't want that to count against it uh, and we were working with a but with a great team there who um, um, who kind of knew their knew their stuff and so we didn't want the kind of the color of the history to um, Get in front of that, so we actually renamed the type. We presented it as a typeface called Oswald, uh, and we tried to get them to fall in love with it. Um, and it's called Oswald because the guy who designed it is named Oswald. Um, and then once they picked it, and they're like, "We love this typeface. I don't know where you guys got this from." We're like, "Actually, it's called Cooper Light, and it's based on Cooper Black." Surprise! Yeah, <laughs> well, that's an amazing story. I love that so much. Uh, so I just passed it today, and I saw it in, in real in real life, the Exploratorium. You got, they partnered with you guys at Collins, um, and you made these uh, inflatable expanding works of art and a series of massive air-filled sculptures and fantastical beings that surprise the museum guests at every corner, extending the playful nature of the San Francisco streets. Collins created a design solution, wayfinding and marketing campaign 
with a set of custom inflatable letter forms as a tactical experience itself. What in particular about the Exploratorium and the exhibit informed this design, and how did you guys achieve the final result? Sure. It's, you know, a jewel of San Francisco, and so much kind of the embodiment of San Francisco, and they're kind of, a, they're just a dream client to work with, so um, we are very fortunate to work with them on a number of campaigns and some of their repositioning and branding to date. And also, I know there's a few folks from Landor here. Shout out to those who did the original logo for the Exploratorium. It is an amazing embodiment of it as well, and we're fortunate to work with it. Um, but I think Inflatable is really interesting. They part so they partnered with Colossal and starting to commission a number of art forms that were large, these kind of huge totems that filled the space, and it's this giant warehouse down on the pier, and so there's just a lot of room to play in many respects, and it's our job to kind of bring that essence out into the world. I think in many ways it's hard to capture the essence of the Exploratorium, and unless you're there interacting with it, it's so much about kind of an immersion through hands-on engagement, and I think there's a misperception often around museums that there's something that's quite passive. And so that's the interesting opportunity, I think, with Exploratorium, is how do you take that sense of engagement and tactility out into the world? And you see that in things like the After Dark campaign, which uses optical illusion to do that, to kind of set that tone and to start to get your senses playing. And the same with inflatables, right? We're, we, we had a really interesting collaboration uh, with designer Sony, Sohee Kim and again our motion director Chris Wong where uh, they were going back and forth kind of day by day, both in 2D and 3D, to take the typography and literally blow it up in space. Um, and it just had this really amazing kind of flattening effect in terms of how it did that, but it still felt like you could poke it, right? You wanted to poke it and touch it and, and in many ways kind of go That's to That's all I thought about when I looked at that. I was like, I just want to like reach through the screen and it's so yeah. tactile and amazing. Yeah. And it's like letter forms, so. Right. Big bubbly letter forms, it's the best. It's right, like, cool. in many ways it was like, oh, this is such an obvious solution, right? Should we go there? Should we just blow up the type like balloons? But I mean, why not? It's right. fun and they're fun. And I think It's obvious until it's a giant letter form right. and you're just like, this is epic. Right. <laughs> I imagine. Cool. Ben, you want to add to that? Yeah. I'll say it's fun to look at, but it was a, you know, it's one of those things where in design, um, sometimes you commit yourself to a path and, you know, you just, the, it, 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 you know, it's hard to tell in design when you start out how much work things are going to be. And that one was a lot of work because we were convinced that it couldn't be the same. Well, one, there's all sorts of different shapes and sizes, they, from web banners to buses to kind of skyscrapers to um, all sorts of different things. And we were convinced that for this thing to have the right tone, it had to be kind of musical and always changing across all of these things. And so we kind of set the task for ourselves that, you know, almost every time you saw it, it should be a different version of that and it should feel like it's reacting to the space around it, um, which was a great idea. And we love the way it turned out, but the reality of doing that was a lot of hours, a lot of blood, sweat and tears um, from Sohi and Chris. And so, you know, that's sometimes the way it is. Caroline? I didn't work on it, so I love oh. it from afar. I'm trying to make sure everyone's included. Everyone's included. All right. Well, you did work on this one, the Jim Henson exhibit, which I just watched the other day. I think uh, Adam Savage from Mythbusters went there, and it was kind of cool. Uh, Brian's going to kill me. I have not gone over there yet, but it's a permanent exhibit. But I'm, I'm, after this, I, w I promise I'm going to go. And I love... I'm obsessed with Jim Henson. If you look at my YouTube, it's just like all like things about Big Bird and the Muppets and all this different stuff. And uh, it actually started, my, I never, I wasn't like the Muppets generation per se, but uh, 
The first time I ever went to a design studio, that story, uh, story from earlier, was at Collins. And at the time, uh, you guys were working on the exhibit and all the Muppets were around and Brian would like walk around with uh, Kermit the Frog and like talk to people with it. So it was really kind of cool. It's three years later and I'm completely obsessed with it. So Caroline, we're gonna leave with you on this one. Uh, what was it like to work on the project and where did you draw inspiration for the typography? So this was a cool one because I was the only one on the ground here in San Francisco working on it. So it was mainly led out of the New York office with Brian Creative Directing, um, which was a really awesome experience to begin with because um, they had been working on the physical space for, I think, two years before we started thinking about, like, there's a lot more to it. So how are, like, how's typography going to work, work with this um, and branding and, like, out of home, all that. So we got brought in to do that, and um, we went to the space to gather inspiration from the actual Muppets. Did a ton of research on Jim Henson, and originally the uh, script that we came up with was based on his signature. Um, like the H-E-N was drawn first, and then it just kind of like blew out from there. So we just kept adding more and more characters, kept changing things out. Um, and then all the internal signage, like the Muppets and different shows throughout followed the same system. Did you guys do the, the wayfinding as, as well? And, and what was the typeface you guys used for that? That's something that I, I forgot to add to the questions, but I meant to. Uh, yeah, we used Brandon Grotesque, I'm gonna say, for like the small copy throughout. And then we used the same custom display throughout for like the big words like Muppets or immersive worlds and stuff like that. Nice, love it. While that was being developed, we also developed Kernet, which maybe some of you guys have seen was a typeface that we put online and kind of up, up for free that came out of that, but was something that inevitably wasn't selected or directed. And um, that one was fun because it just had some inspiration even from how puppets were held. Mm -hmm. So raise your hand up and kind of turn it over and you know yak with your sides. And that kind of informed some of the um, you know trappings and counters of the typography. And obviously its namesake is largely derived from unnamed That's amazing. puppet. What are some trends you guys are seeing in typography? In general, I think in branding, I think there's a lot of incredible benefits that the internet has brought us in terms of bringing us together, allowing people to kind of see and be inspired by and build on um, things that they see and, and, and find community in the work that they're doing. I think the, the double-edged sword of that often is that we sometimes get stuck in a house of mirrors where we're always looking at the same things and the same things are surfacing. And I think that what we're seeing is that bubbling up into kind of like the way that bigger brands are now representing themselves and, and really, using a lot of the same moves or kind of in many ways just pulling from the same kind of drawer of kind of tools and so it's just something in general that i think we're aware of and as designers who are being hired by companies to kind of be professionals at this something that we should always be pushing back on is they will always navigate to the codes and the signals that they understand and have seen in the world before and our job is to not necessarily abandon those things but try to move that forward and you know, design and specifically branding, which is what we're about, is about differentiation as much as anything else. And so our goal is always to kind of find something different and find something that's true and representative of that company at the same time. And if you can land those two things together, that's kind of the perfect outcome, so. Great answer. And I think just to build on that, so much of um, thinking about the future, I mean, our jobs as designers are to can build the futures to come and to have that sense of optimism that gets us there. I think that 
some of the peril, right, is something that feels different is often scary and it's unfamiliar. I mean, oftentimes we'll tell our clients, like, look for the thing that's making you uncomfortable because that actually can be a signal that this is new and sometimes new is really interesting and different and now we have to kind of hold hands and go there. Again, making sure that it is always fulfilling the objectives of the client and what's true to them and doing it from a really authentic space but at the same time doing it from a place of differentiation and not just differentiation to be different. I mean, think about the people that you like. You like them because they're an individual, right? It's the same for brands. Our job is to kind of make them the essence of what's them and specifically them and uniquely them and to bring that to light through all of the tools in our tool belt, right? Typography being one of them and everything that goes with it. But, um, you know, I guess that's the, that's the invitation for all of us that's the most interesting is how are we doing that, bringing that to the surface, and how are we doing it in a way that inspires us to kind of imagine what else is possible? And I think Brian does a really amazing job of igniting that and all of us to say, you know, our job is to kind of stoke our imagination, and I think that's like a lovely industry to be in. For sure. In your time working at Collins, uh, and everyone's gonna take a turn, we're gonna leave with Caroline this time. Um, what have been some of your favorite moments? Um, Our most rewarding, you know. This one's easy. The people, every day. Um, I'm surrounded by the most talented people, I think, in the entire industry. And just working with them and being, I don't know, inspiration is just constantly flowing and everyone's incredibly nice. Um, and I couldn't imagine being surrounded by other people day to day. Awesome. Great answer. Ben? So I started a really small design studio. This is going to be like a little bit of a trip down memory lane, so everybody just strap in and it's valuable on some level. Um, I started a really small design studio. I, you know, like everyone in design came into it in love with the craft of design. You know, I wanted to make things. I wanted to make beautiful things. That's where the core of the passion is, and it still is to this day. Um, but I think the interesting thing about Colin, so I worked at this place called Maud in Australia. Um, I, I moved to um, New York, spent a bit of time. Um, you know, got a job at Collins, and at that time, Collins was kind of, I think, like eight people or something like that. Um, and over the last five and a bit years, which is wild to say, it's kind of like grown uh, and turned into the company that it is. And I think the really interesting thing for me has been um, that Collins is, in my mind, fairly unique in that it wants to make, and through Brian, wants to make work that is at scale and has impact and the kind of stuff that you can kind of talk to your mom about and she understands whether you can pick up someone's phone and look at and see a piece of the work that we've done. Um, and that's really gratifying, but also trying to bring that craft and that kind of like desire to make everything perfect and also the kind of um, self-propelled, motivated attitude that comes from, I think, a smaller company that requires you to stretch and do a lot of things and try to marry those two things. And I, I find that I think that that is a really hard thing to do, and I don't see that in a lot of companies, and it's the thing that I really value about Collins, is that it both respects craft and quality and the people who are in pursuit of that, and also respects this larger ideal to bring that to the world in a way that maybe has a little more impact than I think sometimes designers um, realize they could do. I didn't really think about this one. I mean, it's, a, it's really difficult to think of a moment um, to echo these guys, but... I guess when I started at Collins, I was brand experience director, and in that way, I was fusing kind of my experience starting as a creative director and having worked in a number of places where I'd been doing more strategy and trying to bring that lens to the team. And then 
to your point, I think when I was tasked with being manager, managing partner, it felt like, okay, here's a new invitation to really think about, you know, what is a studio that I think, you know, an environment to cultivate and the conditions for making really great, um, really great work in a way that builds on what Collins is and has been for a long time based on all the leadership in New York and San Francisco historically, but also now. You know, and to bring my history to it and to say, you know, what do we collectively want to create? And, you know, the world is our oyster, really, to do that. And so I think there's just a lot of freedom in that and a sense of experimentation that is, you know, something collective across the whole studio and really interesting to be a part of. Great answers, everybody. Great answers. Um, okay, so we're going to do, a, like, one or two more questions here, and then we're going to go into the Q&A. You know, the purpose of Meet the Creatives as I've mentioned, everyone's been in the same room, but it's to bridge the gap between people just coming in and people like yourself. Um, so, out of, you know, Collins is a studio, uh, I know, especially in New York, and, and you guys have been on Working Not Workings. Um, I forgot what the title was, but it was Working Not Working. had uh, done a survey to see who was the, in the, the most sought-after studios to work for, and Collins is right alongside Apple and Drogon 5 and these huge companies, and for such a small studio, that's really incredible. So I would imagine, especially you, are just completely inundated with people trying to go on LinkedIn and send their portfolio and all that kind of stuff. Send us more. Yeah, for sure. Oh, no, not looking. enough? No, no, no. San Francisco. We're this is, this is your girl right here. More. Network hard. Okay, um, so advice for people that are applying and want to get a job? So many things, but I'm going to lead with, I'll, Six I'll lead one and I'll just say gumption. You know, I think folks that just are go-getters, you know, kind of not overwhelmed are optimistic or, you know, kind of self-initiating and not afraid of kind of tackling things and being kind of quite confident in the way that they go about it and, um, and, you know, kind of go kind of head first into something I think is a, a something we quite appreciate at Collins. To that point, I think, you know, often, I do this at my own peril, <laughs> but often, like, we don't get back to people straight away or at all because, you know, our day-to-day -day life is super busy and sometimes it just gets buried under a mountain of other stuff. And so if I'm putting myself back in my original shoes, like, you know, just hound people, <laughs> and that's why I say this out of my own peril. Um, <laughs> Hound people, but space it out. That's what I tell people. Right. It's like be yeah. consistent, but like not like hourly. Right. You know? Yes. And it's a fine yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the second part is obviously, you know, great work is important. <laughs> Everything really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I guess the last one would be like a desire to learn, um, like constantly looking to improve. I know sometimes we talk to people and they're like, what can we do better? And they come back and they have done it better. And it's always really amazing to see that. If you're like a young designer looking to work at Collins, Brian will literally send you like six books that you have to read and talk yeah, about. Yeah. The Architecture of Happiness is one of my favorite books yeah. in the entire world. I got that from Brian's, Brian's uh, book list. So list, yeah. you definitely have to like reading and learning and literature. So yeah. no, I, I think that um, that's a good point. I think, you know, one of the things we're always talking about as well is specifically in branding, your work is always in service of an idea or a business problem or, you know, the difference between design and art is utility. Design has a functional role that it has to play. Uh, and so often what we're looking for is not just the ability to make beautiful stuff, which by the way is solving a problem and has value and don't let anyone ever tell you different, but making something beautiful for the sake of making it beautiful is table stakes. Making something beautiful that solves a problem and if you can describe that problem and why that problem was important and why you made certain decisions, that's that's 
ideal. That's kind of the perfect. Kind of like capital D design. You guys have heard that term before, and yeah. But it's not the make it pretty department. You're really creating like utility, right. and right. Well, I think you know, it's like make it pretty is just table it's takes. One, right? You have yeah, to chapter be able one, to do right. that. That's how you got in the front door, but you got to. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, it's a little bit of a back and forth all the time, because on one hand, you know, we're always ensuring that we're putting, you know, reason behind what we do. Our clients ask that of us, and I think a, lo a lot of time we engage pretty deeply in strategy with our clients, and that's because they're asking, help, they're asking us to help them make big decisions. And we work a lot of times with big companies and big corporations and big organizations, and that change is hard. Like, full stop, it's hard. I'm sure a lot of you have experienced what it means to kind of sell something in internally and work cross-functionally with many different stakeholders and bringing them along in that process. And, you know, and I think that demands a lot of us in, in terms of helping them give them the stories and the reasons to understand why things are done and how to continue to kind of operate in service of, of those ideas, even if it's beauty. Um, and so that's a big part of our job. Um, I think on the flip side, while well, we're always trying to get designers to think about that why in service of the challenge they're up against or how it solves it or the story that somebody can tell around it, you know, we have to remind ourselves to sometimes like let the why go, right? And let people play and let them just make stuff because there's a lot of intention and instinct that goes into just making and just doing things and being ex like surprised and delighted by form alone. And I think it's that balance of going back and forth that that's, that's our job to kind of maintain that and understand, you know, that how that rationality kind of helps clients, but at the same time not fall victim to it because some things aren't measurable, some things aren't quantifiable, that's why art is around, you know, and that takes us into the future, and I think that's something that we really try to hold on to. You guys are all so smart. I feel, I'm, I'm definitely like the dumbest person on this panel, for sure. Um, that's, that's so cool, sorry. Um, yeah, I know, you guys get some, a couple of years on me. Uh, okay, so... Someone comes into the studio, they're a nice person, they have a great energy, they're talking to everyone, and you can tell, like two, three years down the road from now, they can do it. What advice are you giving to them? You wanna, Caroline, wanna start? Perfect. I'm gonna give this one to Ben. What? <laughs> Damn. Shots fired. Uh, Tough crowd in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just work hard, put your head down, like, you gotta, you've just gotta pay your dues and put the time in. There's no magic solution to being excellent. You know, the 10,000 hours, all of that stuff is true of design as it is in anything else. Um, that passion will keep you going, and that's really important, um, and that value that you take into it and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's just like you gotta do things and learn from things and not be afraid to, to kind of like not get it perfect and learn a lesson and go on to the next one and so forth. So. Definitely. I was just thinking about this. My husband was talking about how um, people are kind of a manifestation of their passions. I think to Ben's point, it's like, you know, double down on what you're inspired by. Just focus on that thing and why you're interested in it and really go deep there. And that will start to kind of bubble up into the work. Just get nerd out on the thing that motivates you and really understand and ask yourself why it motivates you and let that show up in the work instead of being like, this is what work needs to look like these days and here's how things look and I'm gonna make, you know, I'm gonna prove that I can operate in that style. That's not interesting to us. I mean, yes, we wanna understand that you have a good understanding of how to design and how to use a grid and how to create nice composition, 
but you know, things that are weird and wrong are just as interesting or things that kind of really demonstrate like what makes you tick are just as interesting. And so I guess the, the invitation is to just go deep. I think that's something we've been talking a lot is like going through the hard problems. I think it'd be really easy to just step back and- Or say like the industry or entertain these kind yeah. of ideas of like, well, I didn't go to a good design school. It's like, great, it's all on the internet. The whole thing, every question for the most part, is on the internet, and if it's not, and you need to dive deeper, join Type Thursday, and it'll be really awesome. Give a nice big round of applause for the panel here. We're gonna go into... I thought I'd the panel. All right, we're gonna do a Q&A. Okay, here we go. Um, put your hand up if you have a question. James, give it up for James. Thanks. All right, pass the mic to, to whoever. How about this guy right here, this guy Brad? Okay, cool, right here, Brad. So, uh, question to all of you. Uh, where do your personal passions come into the work you're doing now, and what's next? Um, I guess personal passions, photography. I kind of dabbled in it in school a little bit, and I've been able to keep it up ever since then. I think having an eye for photography and art direction in general just really allows you to see graphic design as a bigger picture and a more broad stroke, and I think that that's been really helpful for me and like actually getting behind the lens on sometimes, like seeing photography as something you would take or art direct and not just use in a layout. I think you're being modest too. I think you have a passion for typography. That's why I passed it to her. Because <laughs> in every project, Caroline is always making a custom typeface immediately. It's her first solution. What's, <laughs> so. your, what's your favorite box? Do you have like one favorite child? See, it's the opposite. I'm gonna go like straight up. Helvetica. No, <laughs> no for real. Like if I'm just <laughs> no, yeah, I was I <laughs> um, because if I'm not, I kind of want it to recede if I'm first designing, and then as I start to build a composition and start building out from there, I'll start experimenting with whatever feels right. But I almost see Helvetica as like the blank slate. It's like the working in black and white of typography. If that makes yeah. Any sense. Yeah. It's like wireframing. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Brad, right? Um, so I started learning how to make perfume recently, which I'm not even sure how that cropped up, but I was just interested in thinking about the creativity and the senses, haptics being a thing that are growing, and, and um, just I've always enjoyed things that are quite ambiguous, visuals being one of them. But um, So I played with, you know, starting to play with smells and, and did a workshop with a perfumer, Mandy Aftel. And what I loved about the workshop is that I knew nothing going in. I mean, literally, there, there were people that flew in from Australia that were making candles and perfumes and, you know, knew how, how every scent kind of laddered up to a larger taxonomy and fit within some code. And I was really getting tripped up in the workshop. I was like, well, I don't, I don't know, is this from a root? Like, is this a woody scent or what? And, and she was like, don't worry about it, you know, it's ultimately your own rules that you're writing, you need to make sense of it in service of the craft. And it just freed, it, I had such a sense of freedom from that, and I was like, oh, there's this beginner's <laughs> mind quality that comes out of this practice, and I was, I think, in terms of how I'm bringing that to the office, is like, that's very valuable, a sense of having a beginner's mind, and what does it mean to kind of make the space in our creative setting to give people that freedom. Because I think it's very easy to get caught up in what we know about the industry and clients and, and jobs, and that can be really inspiring, and sometimes that can be challenging, and how do you kind of let go of that from time to time and just say, wait, or forget about the rules, forget about the grid, forget about what looks pretty or beautiful, and say, you know, 
I'm, I'm kind of free to do whatever. And I think that was just really nice to be reminded of what that felt like. Thanks, Brad. Cool. All right, who's got the microphone? Oh, perfect. We're still recording, correct? I just want to double, double check. Okay, perfect. Literally, for the last 35 minutes, you've all been talking, and in the back of my head, it's been like, hee, hee, ha, ha. Is it recording? Did you come all the way to San Francisco? <laughs> this is <been> real. <laughs> it's recording. Okay, good. That's good. I should have just asked. I don't know why I didn't just, you're like right there. Okay, who has the microphone? Oh, right here. What, Mohammed? Uh, Mahmoud. Oh, perfect. Um, hi, everyone. Thanks for this tonight. Um, my question is open to anyone. Something that I've kind of thought of over time in design, and this is kind of general, but really hits it with branding, is your client is the expert on their business, but you're the experts in branding. And bringing them along for this journey and setting, uh, like setting the pace and building that trust with them, especially for a company like MailChimp that, MailChimp that like really lives in their brand, uh, are there any kind of learning experiences that you've learned along the way that have kind of yeah, helped that success happen? Um, I think it's a really interesting puzzle that as an agency where, you know, is almost this like meta design challenge, which is like, um, when you're working with bigger companies, especially, it's not just about creating a beautiful design system. It's about understanding the team that's going to be executing that and what are their strengths and weaknesses. It's about understanding the company itself and trying to build your design solution to work in that environment. And that environment is always changing. Uh, and so that's this like, I think I've probably gone off topic a little bit here, but it's just like, I think, you know, the bigger you get, the more the design problem is not just about the design problem, it's about designing the way that the design problem is solved, um, which is a really bizarre thing. But, um, you know, at some point, if we want it, like design just doesn't scale very well. And if we want this stuff to have that impact, we have to find ways invite other people into it and empower those people to execute against it and make it better over time and and so that's kind of all I have to say yeah so I think the lessons are know your team the team that's gonna be executing it what they're good at where they might be kind of growing a team around the solution what's their appetite for change I think we really try to modulate in service of that and get they need skin in the game you know how I'm sure you guys are doing this too, but you know, having them come in early, be parts of critique, really designing who are the committees that are involved, you know, might be different people at different times depending on their strengths and their skills and really making them part of the process. Um, but I think we're always trying to also keep some distance too because you know, that's why they hire us is to be outside of what's happening internally and to kind of bring some outside perspective and doing things in a way that they're not kind of caught up in how they do it all the time and that's our value in many ways. And so that striking that balance is the interesting challenge and we, we really experiment every time with a client and what's their appetite. And I think you know, give yourself permission to check in you know, after a month, after two weeks and be like, should this change? Um, I think sometimes it's easy to be like, great, we fixed it. This is how it's going to go from start to finish. And, you know, it's, it's good to kind of calibrate. Um, we're experiment we've experimented with, like, client residencies and, and, and vice versa. And I think there's ways to kind of get people on board and part of uh, the problem solving as well. Awesome. All right. Make some noise. You guys are having a good time. You guys feel good? Woo! I told you. You guys are all going to be obsessed with Collins. You caught the bug. Yeah, you guys gotta drink more for real. Can like 
a few people get up and get a drink? Let's do this. All right, here we go. All right, uh, right back there. Your name, please? Hi, I'm Tommy. Um, this Hi. question's for any of you guys, but uh, Benjamin talked about the double-edged sword of the internet and inspiration and working in brands, uh, working with brands nowadays, uh, how that can yeah come back to bite you. How do you guys combat that in, uh, in your agency? Um, one, put pen to paper, like get off the internet. I mean, it's it seems very simple, but actually just like think in ideas and a good way of doing that is stop looking for inspiration and actually just try to think through the problem by sketching it. it um, I, I think it's weird. We just don't see it all that much. And I think it's easy to forget that as you know, part of our job, but literally spend the day just trying on a, on a piece of paper and kind of thinking through the problem that way. I mean, we're always looking to art and culture, you know, um, nerding out on the internet, go down the rabbit holes instead of, you know, kind of the go-to places. And to the point around passion, like look, look in places that you wouldn't expect. You know, if there's an idea you're circulating around, you know, I don't know what that is, say bioluminescence, you know, go down all the tracks of bioluminescence that have nothing to do with the aesthetics of it. Cause you're gonna find some pretty interesting things if you go down that. Um, and you know, that's where it starts to get weird and that's where it starts to get interesting and find all of the, you know, adjacencies off of that. I like to do like word maps and, and kind of think of all the ways into a thing and just tackle it from all sides. And, you know, get offline, go about, talk to people, you know, interview people, talk to, you know, users. I think that's always a really great starting point in thinking about human-centered design. If you have a conversation with somebody and why they love something, I can guarantee you there's going to be a point of inspiration there. You know, take it, use it as fuel. Um, don't you know? Going instinctively is really valuable, but sometimes kind of getting outside of your head and talking to somebody about what's interesting, specifically as a brand, as a user, like who are their um, who are their customers, that can be a big point of inspiration. Think of it like journalism. Just to that point, and something that uh, the co-founder of Collins actually said on on the podcast. Um, was that Lee said that he was intellectually promiscuous, which I love, because it implies this notion of like, you know, you're a designer, so you have to read about design. Like, maybe you can learn about like systems design, and that, you know, go to museums. Like, nothing inspired me more in my life than going to learn about Milton Hershey, the guy who made the Hershey's chocolate. Who would have ever thought that Milton Hershey in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania? But it was, because it had like nothing to do with anything, but it informed it. So don't be afraid to have your, uh, to be informed from other places, no matter where it is, not just in design. I mean, you bring up a really good point, which is just knowing a brand's history, right? It can be very easy to take it at face value, kind of, oh, I know the name, I know X, but go deep into the founder, into where they grew up, what manifested, you know, who they are today, what were the seeds of inspiration, all of the, you know, kind of trove of advertising that they did historically. I mean, that can be so rich and I think is often untapped as a source. And, um, you know, I think you'd, you know, you'll find that there's lots of, entertainment down those avenues oh yeah I'll just um, to your very first point I think you know books are great because I think chances are if you're looking at it on the internet someone else is looking at it on the internet and just by looking in a book or something a little bit less current you are looking at a source that's outside of that I think it's really like I was thinking about this you know it feels like design is really diverse but 
if you step back and look at other eras, you can just so clearly see the moves that have become kind of common and the check marks of like, I did a good design because I did X, Y, Z. Like we were at the Eames exhibit at, um, at the Oakland Museum. We went as a studio, which was lovely. And you look at like some of the old Eames catalogs and some of these things and you're just like, this is beautiful, but it's totally outside of what you would find surfaced on a blog nowadays as kind of like, I mean, some of the mainstream ones anyway. Uh, and so, you know, books have that quality where you can just kind of look, and that's why Brian is always kind of on everyone about getting in the library. And to Corinne's point, um, sketching ideas removes formalism from solving the problem because most designers are actually, ironically, terrible illustrators. <laughs> um, and so you kind of have to focus on, like, what's the idea I'm trying to communicate because I can't draw it very well. Um, and that's kind of helpful as well. I guess also the MoMA here is such a great resource that I always love to go there at the start of a project just to like open up what I'm looking at, furniture design, um, Ellsworth Kelly, it all, it's amazing. As well as um, I guess a second point for MailChimp, we were really inspired by the corporate offices, like internal offices. And I think that's often a space where non-designers are hanging stuff and like working on stuff and like desks, it's all very, what's happening really in the company and what they really need. And I think that's great inspiration as well. Suck up art and culture. Last plug, Letterform <laughs> Archive as well, if you guys have been. <laughs> also an amazing source, yes, yes. Um, we are starting to go more and more there as a point of inspiration, kind of kick off idea ideas. They're amazing, you can just say, here's some themes I'm thinking about and they'll just pull out a ton of books and histories, annuals. And um, it's just something to kind of tickle the imagination. For sure. Tickle the imagination, Ellie. That's good. That's got a nice ring to it. That's going to be in the next deck at Collins. They're going to be like, we just want to tickle your imagination with this new font called Oswald. <laughs> Call back. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's do uh, one more question right here. I saw you first. Okay. Yes. Uh, speaking <laughs> of books, uh, what are the six book col uh, columns books you reviewed? Oh, The Architecture of Happiness by Alain de Botton. That's my best French impression. Yes. Oh, it's okay. No, okay, we'll do one. No, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, Alain de Botton, The Architecture of Happiness. Oh, School of Life. Yes. Got you. Hi, thank you. Um, so I just absolutely adore the Exploratorium After Dark campaign. Um, so much that... A little ashamed to admit, but there's a bus shelter in front of my apartment, and I've seriously considered smashing the glass in the dark of night to steal the poster out of it. Damn, bro. I won't, but <laughs> San Francisco's I would really crazy. love one of those posters on my wall. People um, yell outside the windows here like it's no one's business. I don't know what that is. People just scream in the streets here. Sorry. Oh, you just tune it out after. <laughs> I feel like I was home in New York. Sorry. But I particularly love it because the entire campaign is just black and white, and having pitched a number of total black and white projects and frequently not selling them through. I'm just curious, was that a hard sell to the client or did they take to it right away? They took to it right away. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah. They're cool. I can give a little backstory there. So, um, you know, After Dark, if any of you guys haven't been, it's amazing. You should go. Um, it's their Thursday evening program for adults. I think, um, interestingly, the Exploratorium, while it serves everybody, 
and does so well, I think it has this misperception that it's just for kids. And so that's always a little bit of a challenge in kind of some of the brand communications with them. But After Dark is specifically for adults. And so some of that in terms of the campaign was making it feel a little bit more elevated for one and, and starting to signal more adult centrism. I think really easy thing kind of again from a competitive set. We looked at what were the other Thursday evening programs and all of the advertising looked exactly the same, which was a lot of colorful, multi-colorful lights on a floor in a museum space. And so it's really easy to point at all of that and be like, this is what everybody's looking like. And it's also all very colorful. And so what's a way to differentiate, you know, let's go the extreme opposite black and white. And I think that teamed with kind of from a company perspective, they had a deep history of optical illusions. They're a museum based on kind of sensory phenomenon and science. And so that is just inherently tethered to that. And we could point, you know, they literally have tiles in their bathroom that are optical illusions and say that is a point of inspiration. It is very true to you and to the idea of kind of bringing the sensorial kind of out into space, and that was all about, you know, questioning your perception. You know, they're very much of the ethos that you don't tell people what to think. You just put something in front of them that's engaging, and that will be enough to make people kind of want to understand something. And so that kind of, um, the idea of an optical illusion kind of allows you to kind of question something and want to go deeper. Awesome, let's give a huge round of applause to this incredible panel. Oh, that was so fun. Thank you guys. We did it. Amazing. Uh, Wearecollins.com, correct? Correct. On Instagram, this is Collins. And it's capital Collins, the whole thing. And then sometimes there's like the, the little dot dot afterwards, which is really cool. Is there any story behind that, Ben? Since you're. Dot dot? Yeah. A colon, sorry. At a type function, no less, sorry probably helpful. The story was, or at least how Brian tells it, is that registering the name of the company as his last name and not as a random name was less expensive when he started, and so he started as just Collins, uh, and then it was kind of too late to change it, and so he's been on this permanent endeavor to kind of signal that it's not just him and elevate, the, which is one of the wonderful things about working with Brian, by the way, is he's very much interested in elevating the voices of the people that work with him. Mm-hmm. And so the dot dot was a kind of graphic device for like, you know, there's more coming. Um, and then we are Collins and, you know, that was us trying to make that same idea. And then this is Collins is because we couldn't get we are Collins on Instagram. And so that was that. I have the creative NY, which is terrible. <laughs> and then uh, I'm going to pass it over to James here in a second. He's going to pass it to you. Uh, and then the, the handles here is type Thursday SF for Instagram, correct? All right, everyone who's here, who's new? Raise your hands, new people. Raise your hands, if it's your first time. If all you guys can go on Instagram right now and follow, type Thursday SF. This is Collins? This is Collins, right? And meet the creators and live. All right, one more round of applause. I'm gonna hand it over to James. Thank you, thank you, thank you. San Francisco, I will be back anytime. Thank you guys, you guys are best.